Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a WFT board member, and I'm also a producer at Jumper Productions and Tile Media. If you're scoring a film, it can be tricky to find the right music, and even harder to secure the rights. In the latest podcast, Women in Film and Television spoke with one of our members, Dina Coughlin from Planet of Sound getting her advice when it comes to locking down your project's perfect music. This event has been made possible with the support of the BAI. Hi everybody. Hello and welcome to um, our latest Inner Wift Masterclass series. So we are delighted, thrilled to be joined with um, our, our very special member, Dina Coughlin. So she is from Planet of Sound and she, we're going to be um, pumping you for information. So I'm very sorry and thank you so much for sharing with your, with your fellow WIFT members. So Women in Film and Television, I am uh, Gemma Cray. I am the administrator at Women in Film and Television and I work under an amazingly talented board who, who go above and beyond their voluntary board and they work really, really hard. They have a huge amount of events lined up for um, the, the rest of the year. So if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. You can do that on the members page. I think it, it prompts you to sign up, but there is an option just to do the newsletter. And then if, if you want to renew, definitely do, because <laughs> we always love our members. It supports the work that we do. So we are so delighted to be joined by Dina. So that, that, is, our, that is our main thing. We're very, very excited. First, before we get into anything, um, introductions. So besides being WIFT member, there's a lot of things on your CV. I just wanted to, um, it's a very interesting area. And it's, it's sort of, it's very niche as well for maybe, especially for people that are starting out who see that the area of sound is this big gray blob. So I just wanted to go into your own background and how you got started in the industry. Yeah, so I am pretty much I was doing some um, stuff in college, I was working as an intern for different record labels. And from there, I got a job. Um, When I was graduating, I kept in touch with somebody that I interned for. And I got a job at a record label doing public uh, publicity. So I did that for about three or four years working at different independent music labels in New York. And then I I was doing a lot. I had a lot on my plate with just the companies I was working for. They were all great. I loved the artists I was working with, but it was just, I felt like it was a bit too much. So I kind of started thinking about, all right, what else would I want to do? And a friend of mine had gotten a job at um, very, very early on at Oxygen, which was a new women's network being started by um, Oprah Winfrey was one of the, the founders. So I just said, all right, you know what? There was somebody who was hired to run, to start a music department and talent department. So I said, all right, I'm just gonna reach out, say, you know, I'm interested in doing something, you know, with the music department. Um, And I ended up interviewing and I got a job there and I ran the music department for about eight years. And that basically was me finding, um, creating a music library of all, um, I licensed a lot of independent music um, to be part of the library for the network. And then also working with all the promo producers, the original productions to help find music, to hire composers, um, and then to license music. So I was there for about eight years and then I left and started my own company um, and started doing a lot of work with Discovery Networks. And 
again, kind of similar stuff, working on a lot of promos really and um, IDs for the networks. And worked Blue Man Group on a project and a couple other um, companies. And then about seven years ago, um, my husband and I relocated here to Ireland. He's from Ireland. So um, we decided we were able to move a lot of our work that we were doing there um, to Ireland and just started getting, you know, getting relationships going here with different productions and, and producers and directors and started getting, you know, started getting some projects here. And then it's, it's really kind of, you know, taken off, which has been great. Um, so yeah, it's, that's pretty much, I guess, a little bit of a synopsis of what I've been doing. <laughs> so that like, that's, that's very, very interesting. And um, like working across the pond. So I think we were chatting yesterday and you had mentioned you do work between here and the States as well. Yeah. Um, is, is that, is that kind of handy to, to have a kind of finger in both pies, so to speak, or. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, the one thing that's maybe the downside is just the time, you know, difference between the two. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're working on things that people there are working until six o'clock in the evening, you know, California time, which is, I think, two o'clock in the morning here. So, you know, sometimes when you're on projects, you're having to stay up pretty late just to, you know, wait for answers for things. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, that's not, you know, it's not an everyday thing. So it kind of comes with the territory. But it is, you know, it, it's good, I think, to just still have relationships there and work on things and, and being active on projects there as well as here. And do you find the needs of the um, European and American markets to be really, really different? Because it sounds uh, as well like you're working on kind of projects big and small and, and live theater as much as everything else. Like what would actually, how would a job differ? That, that might be a more appropriate question. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's probably not a lot of difference really. Um, it just depends on, you know, if you're working on a TV project or a film project, that's really where TV is a lot, you know, it's it's much quicker with deadlines. So, you know, a lot of times you're you're clearing things like, you know, you may have like a day or two to clear something. Whereas with a film, a lot of times, you know, you've just got much more um, scope to, you know, really, you know, if, if I should say if you're brought on pretty early on a project, then you've got time to really kind of, you know, figure out what you need for music, um, you know, and just start having conversations early on about what you potentially may want to use and start reaching out, you know, as early as you possibly can to find out what's available and what's not. And what would be sort of the smallest ends of the projects that you work on? Like to say, if there was a, a decent enough uh, Screen Ireland short film, would you be brought on to something like that or would that be too small even? If no, I, no, not at all. I mean, we're, myself and Rory work together on all this. So it's, we work on anything. It's, it's really, you know, it's just finding out what the project is, making sure that, you know, we feel like we have enough time to do it. We don't want to shortchange anybody. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's something that was made for, you know, hundred Euro or 3 million Euro. It just, you know, it's, making sure that we feel like there's enough time that we can obviously, you know, give a, a good service to who's hiring us to work for them. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I think that would be it. Cause like some of the things that just sound so big, it's almost scary. You're like, Oh my gosh, that sounds like a, a massive project. So um, what again, so you work on different kind of types of projects. 
how would your role differ for that? So like you were talking about maybe a promo. So a promo, I presume someone comes in, they have a very, very specific short thing that they want to um, to, to, to find music for rather than if, if, if it's a feature, like you want to get the mood and tone for everything. Do they come to you with a list of music? Do they come to you with an idea of a feeling that they want? Yeah, it could be a combination of all of that. I mean, sometimes it's between promos and films and TV. It's, you know, sometimes producers um, or directors are coming to you with very specific songs that they want. And that's really, you know, sometimes they don't want to veer past that. They just really want to focus on that list. And that's, you know, that's totally fine. Like our job is to go out and try to get the approvals for any of that music. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously part of what we do is, and what I do is that, you know, when somebody comes to us with a project, um, you know, if they want suggestions, obviously I'm going to come, come up with a list based on, I get some kind of an idea of what the promo, you know, what the, the message of the promo is. Sometimes I'll get storyboards um, or script. And just that gives me kind of, you know, an idea to say, all right, I know this 30 second promo is going to be about, I don't know, Shark Week or whatever it is. And just, this is kind of the idea behind it. Um, so, you know, it gives me kind of some scope to start pulling ideas um, based on that. And then it's the same thing with film or TV. You know, a lot of times you, you do, you are involved at a stage where you're reading scripts or seeing, you know, cuts of an episode where you, you, you get a better idea of what is gonna potentially work. Either, you know, as a backup or just pulling suggestions in general. So um, yeah, it's, it kind of, it, it could be anything. <laughs> And, and just out of interest, do you ever, because I mean, this is, this is your field. This is an area that you know really well. And, and again, just pure hypothetical, not any yeah. names or anything, but do you ever, like, you know, what will work for a scene and you know, that will have that strange feeling that just won't resonate with audiences or it's too cliche and it's been done too many. Like you, you'll know all those things because you, you're kind of, that's what you do. Have you ever just had somebody go, oh no, I want this, like, I want, I want this. And you're like, Oh God. Yeah. yeah oh, definitely. I think that, you know, a lot of times there are, you know, people are very attached to what they kind of envision as, you know, being the sound that's going with the visuals that they've put together. So, you know, it, I think I, I always, you know, if, if that's something that they want to pursue, I'm going to try to get them the rights to use that. But I also am going to come up, I think everything that I always work on, I always try to have a plan B and a plan C because you don't know if that song that somebody is so married to is going to get approved or it's going to be too expensive or, you know, whatever the case might be, you just need to have a backup. So that's where I may pull together something that is almost a bit of a wild card that they, you know, it's not going to, you know, I'll, I'll probably pull together ideas that are similar to what they're, you know, looking for but also find something that maybe is a bit of a wild card that does kind of, you know, that I feel really might work for the scene. And sometimes that does land, you know, it's, it's just, it's giving, it's giving people options just to say, all right, you know, this is one road, this is another. So let's just see what the best fit is. And one of the things I think we, we had a, a chat beforehand that I thought was quite interesting was the different trends in the mm. style of, of music and the style of, of types of music that are being chosen. And I was just wondering, like, 
as someone again who, who kind of oversees a huge amount of projects and, and sees them come to fruition what would be different trends that you would have noticed that maybe are, are starting to shift or have changed yeah I mean I think one trend that's just kind of been going on for a while now is just this it's like trailerizing a song so it's taking a really well-known song like you know the immigrant song or you know something like that and just really giving it a completely different identity or different feel. So you're, you're almost making it feel more, it's got that recognition with the audience that they say, all right, you know, that's Led Zeppelin. I know that song, but you're also kind of making it a little bit more unique to, you know, your, your ad for whatever you're trying to sell or, you know, a scene in the film that you're just trying to kind of bring your audience in so that they have that kind of sense of familiarity, but you're also giving it a little bit of a different identity for what you want to do. So that's it. So that's like those, yeah, like those slowed down covers that, mm-hmm. that, that you would, that you would always see on those movie trailers. And they do at that punch because again, it makes it more satisfying to watch. Yeah. Um, and what would be, I, I think say, say you're a first time director or producer working on a project and you've, you've a bit of cat, this is your first time with a bit of cash. Um, what would be some pitfalls people might make that like, you know, from like that, from, from script stage or anything like that, that would be best to avoid? Um, well, I think, I mean, a couple things like, you know, when you're, when you're looking at licensing music for a project, you know, just understanding what a song, what the rights are made up of. It's, you have two sets of rights, really. It's, you have your master recording and you have your publishing that you have to go and get permission on to, to sync it to your visual. So realizing that, you know, there's like a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about the all in fee, which is, that means that's the combination of the master and the publishing. But sometimes there's all this lingo that you're saying there's a per side fee. So the per side is that fee is applicable to the master and then the same fee is applicable to the publishing. So you just kind of, I guess, knowing about those, those rights and fees and what have you is, is a good base. So, I mean, just for example, you could be licensing a song and a label comes back and says, you know, if you're, let's say you're, you're licensing for all media world perpetuity. And they say, you know, our quote is, 1500 euro mfn with publishing so that means the label which is the master gets 1500 euro and if the publisher agrees they also get 1500 euro so your total fee is 3000 euro for use of that song in your production so those are just some basic things to understand i think um when you're looking into music i mean the other thing is just for publishing, um, that's the the written words and music of the song, um, and the master is is the actual recording. So with publishing, there could be multiple publishers involved on a song. It's not. I mean, you're. It's always great if you only have to go to one publisher who represents a hundred percent of the song, but sometimes you might have three or four publishers, and one could have sixty percent, one could have thirty percent, and the other two could have five percent each. So you need to make sure that everybody is accounting for their share of what they represented that publishing and it all adds up to a hundred percent. Okay. That's very interesting to know. So you're like, actually, no, no, because it can look like things are smaller when you're trying to budget them initially. Yeah. So, 
actually, I think this is a good time to play the clip because you have a, a really fun clip from, from something people will be very familiar with, uh, the Young Offenders TV series that you worked on. But I think it's a good thing to show, like, for this, if you're a writer and you're writing stuff into a script, you have to clear the rights for, like, even if someone is is singing anything. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll, I'll play this if that's okay. Yeah. Sorry, Jack, it's taken forever. We sing a song to pass the time. Uh, sorry there. Uh, does anyone know any sing songs? I say Connor does. What does he? Do you know anything? He loves that kind of Wesley. What about a Wesley? I do, I do. I have one. You should all know this one. Feel free to join in. I love that. That's brilliant. I know. I I mean, I, I always love seeing it. Um, it was, I mean, it was such a fun thing to work on. And I think that's a really good example of, um, you know, when you're doing anything where you have a visual vocal and it's written in the script, you definitely, you need to get those rights cleared before you shoot, because you cannot put yourself in any kind of, you know, jeopardy of things not getting approved. And then what do you do? <laughs> you know, so it's, I mean, that was, we were really fortunate on that, that we had started talking about these things during script stage. And when Peter, the director and the writer was actually writing things. So, you know, we had a good conversation about, you know, what he was looking to do. And, you know, I think the Franks were somebody that, you know, 
all of us were saying, yeah, you know, they, they'd actually be really good. And I think Peter was, you know, he's a huge fan of them. So it was actually, it was, it was really easy to get them on board, just telling them about the project. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it was one of those things you got the approval in place and then there's the whole process of, you know, getting the actors, you know, rehearsing with them, everything with singing the song and, and getting it to, you know, play out in the, the episode and shooting it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest part of it though is making sure you get the approval in place before you shoot. And so something like that, you would have to pay the, not the publisher, you'd only have, like you're, you're not paying for the, the rights of the performance, you're just paying for the rights of the- You'd actually, you just pay for publishing. Because oh, just it's it's essentially your it's a visual vocal, but it's 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 a re-record because you're performing it live. So you're it's the visual vocal. So the only thing that's out of that those two sets of rights that apply to that are the publishing rights. So when you, I think a really important thing as well is when you know you request to use music in in you know any project is just making sure that you're very upfront about the use. You have to you know because. The, the labels and the publishers have to go to the artist or, you know, the, the writers, their approval parties to get approval for the uses. So you, you really have to, you know, let them know it's going to be for this scene, for this amount of time, it's a background vocal or a visual vocal, you know, that kind of thing. You can't then turn around after the fact and use it over credits or anything like that, because that's, you know, a bigger fee. It's they're they're seen a bit more kind of, I guess, as a premium really. And would there ever have been the issue in the industry where say you would have uh, it used in a context that's different from the agreed upon context, like maybe that has a negative connotation, you know, like just say if something is used over a sex scene, it has a very different meaning than Mm -hmm. if it's used over, you know, just someone going to the shops and buying milk or anything like that. Like, would that be all stuff that you would have to clear with? Yes. the artist and has anyone would anyone do a bait and switch or anything like that or that is all locked down in a contract I've I've never run into that thankfully but it is um again it's especially for anything that is kind of you know um maybe considered a bit risque or whatever you you want to make sure that you're you're being very upfront with your scene description and you're saying this is the context of the scene and how the song will be used in it so you know, that then is is what you're kind of locked into. And what would be sort of, again, mistakes that maybe people would make that would make it difficult to get that approval? Like, like again, if someone, just say if someone had a, a film that was like vaguely homophobic or something, like, but I mean, what if you're just reading a section of the script? Like, I don't know, like, has there ever been an instance where there's a bit of buyer's remorse where people are like, oh, that scene seems fine, but actually in the context of the whole piece of art, it, it does have a different meaning? I mean, I, I don't think I've necessarily run into that. Um, I, I, but yeah, I'm sure there are instances where, you know, it's, you do give a synopsis of what the the actual um, the film is about. So, you know, you are when you're getting these approvals, you are providing basically synopsis of the film and then a scene description. So, you know, it really, you know, I think if there's any hesitation by the artists or the writers, then their their representatives will come back and say, well, can you give us a little bit more info about, you know, 
the film or, you know, a little more info on the scene description. So, you know, there are, there are definitely times when they'll come back and ask for that information and you have to provide it to them. You can't, you know, you can't hide anything. Okay. And we just have two kind of questions that are on topic. So I'm just going to go through them. So, um, so anonymous attendee has written, have you ever worked on zero budget production or experienced publishers and, and musicians willing or interested in allowing their music to be used for free? Um, I haven't haven't worked on zero budget. I worked on a very, very low budget and I have, yes, there have been occasions where um, artists and and songwriters will agree to a gratis use. So, you know, it's a lot of times it's for like, you know, I'd say the stuff that I've done is more like nonprofit promos or, you know, things of that sort where there wasn't really any money to license music. So the, the artist and, you know, their label and publisher did agree to allow the gratis use, but it definitely, yeah, it's not out of the question, but I think that if you have, if you've made something where you had money to make your production and you had a budget to pay people and you, you know, paid catering or whomever, like you need to have money set aside to pay for music as well. It's, I mean, even if it's a nominal fee, there should be something. I mean, I always feel that something should be offered if you had money to make the film. I suppose, yes, we're all artists. We, we all hope that, you know, if our film is screening somewhere that it does get a bit of a bit of money. So it is, yeah. yeah, you do. It is that kind of quid pro quo thing, even if it's a token, like exactly. not everyone is getting paid, but it's enough to cover the expenses of their the wow. time answering the email to say yes. Absolutely. I think if it's like, you know, if you made a extremely low budget short even if you offered 50 euro or something just to show that you know you understand there's there you know there's something involved in this so it's I think it's you know it it is something to definitely you know to consider and upon going with that like talking about funds you were I know we had talked about this yesterday and you had said you know it could be anything it could the fees you can you know this is roughly how much things cost but actually it people could run very very expensive things I'm just wondering what are different sort of price packages that you would expect certain types of music to cost like a local Irish artist represented by a good international um record label uh roughly like you know who's at the middling part of their career who's not like it's you know it's to be honest, it's totally different. Hard to say because it all depends on what rights you want, what your budget is for your film, um, and how the song is being used. I mean, if you're using it for 30 seconds, if you're using it for a minute and a half, or the full use of the song, if it's being used over credits. So I think one thing, you know, maybe to think about is that if you know that you want to use a good amount of music in your film or your TV series or, or whatever it is that you're working on. Indie bands are definitely a great option for finding really fantastic music that's affordable. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I think, again, it just kind of depends on your budgets and everything, but it is going to be cost efficient. And it's a great way to just get a really amazing soundtrack. Um, There's also, you know, there's, there's production music libraries, which have a really you know, great library of music available. I mean, I've used them on loads of different projects and it is, it's a great resource. Um, you know, a lot of times you can avail of um, 
the, the blankets that they have in place that for independent production companies. So it can, again, be a very cost efficient way to go. Um, it's just, it's really, it's hard to kind of just, you know, throw out numbers for what songs could potentially cost because there's so many var variables involved in how you kind of guesstimate those fees. It, and would it, you be a person to get on board because you'd be able to negotiate better rates if you had a good, like to say, if you'd a few things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's where you, you have those conversations with the producers and the director to say, all right, you know, what are you thinking of using? What do you think you can afford? And, you know, we're going to try to get you the lowest prices possible, but, you know, it's, you also have to understand that, you know, some people may not be okay with this. So it's just, I think getting on board as early as possible to have those conversations about what potential fees could be. And again, it's, I mean, I was definitely, you know, kind of ballparking on that. It could, you know, it could go that route. It could go higher. It just depends on, you know, the artists that you're reaching out to. And just in your professional opinion, what have been sort of the highest level of fees? So like, I'm, I want the Beatles yesterday, like how much <laughs> does it cost to get like, you know, the rights for these man things and like for a feature film to have distribution everywhere? Yeah, I'd say you have to have a lot of money set aside for that. <laughs> it's yeah it's it's going to be pricey you know and understandably it's you know things like that the Beatles or Frank Sinatra or somebody you know artists at that level it's you know you really have to kind of say all right you know we've got to set aside a good chunk of money for using those types of songs in our production and I have another question here from um, Gemma Stack so sure. she asks do you ever work on music for live theater productions and if so, would you ever get involved in working on a theater project in the early development stages? Or does it suit better to speak about your involvement when there was more of a production plan in place? Yes, I actually, I did a project with Blue Man Group um, years ago in New York. It was this really crazy live, like um, theatrical experience on a bus that it was basically you went around New York City on this bus and as you were the side of the bus was cut out and you could see it was all glass. So as you were driving around, you were involved with this interactive theater like experience that was happening in New York. Like they reenacted the famous like kiss at the end of World War II in Times Square and like they had dancers in um, Columbus Circle and stuff like that. So I got involved with that very early on that we we were creating score for the, the production, creating original music and songs, and then also licensing songs because there was a part of the show where um, the audience was participating in kind of like a sing-along. So yes, I absolutely, live theater, it's, you know, I do have experience in that and I'm happy to, you know, talk to you if you want any, you know, advice or want to chat about any projects. And it's um it's again it's it's such a sort of a niche field as well like it's it's in this specific area of this specific area. How would one like if you were say chatting to somebody now that you would advise like that want to get into that field? What advice would you give them? I think you know I think a lot of people think that music supervisors their job is just finding music and you know that's. I think everybody in their own respect could be a music supervisor that way. Cause I think a lot of people who love music kind of always have that feel of like, Oh God, that'd be a perfect song for this or this or that. 
but I think really the majority of the job is is licensing and knowing what rights are involved with you know finding that music and, and getting the permissions to use it in the job. So I'd say the biggest thing is just learning about the right side of things. Um, you know, and and the bonus is being able to find music that you know you love and that you know you think is a good fit for a project. Then that's always it's 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 great to see that at the end of of you know a project to see it all come together. But the rights are really they're crucial. And it's probably one of the few roles that are both deeply practical and creative. Yeah. Like it's the, it's the production element. It is like that paperwork, that admin, that like the, that tough bit, but is also deeply, deeply creative. Like you have to have, like they're very different skill sets to have. Yeah. It's, you're kind of balancing <laughs> all of it all the time. So it's, yeah, there's, I mean, like the admin part of it is, is huge. It's, you know, between putting quote requests together and then getting license agreements in and reviewing them to make sure all the terms that you requested are in there. And if not being able to, you know, identify that and go back to the licensors and say, all right, you know what, we need this, this, and this change. We need this language added. So it's, you know, you're constantly, you're in that mode, but then you're also in the creative mode of, you know, finding replacements for things, coming up with ideas that, you know, hopefully are, are going to fit as well as, you know, the first choice of, of the production team. So it's, yeah, you're kind of always going like this. <laughs> and just another kind of weird practical question. My, my mate, Jonner is in a band and I love their, I love their band and, yeah. I, and they're very popular and they're on a record label. And he said I could use their short film in my, or their music, their, their number one hit in my short film. Um, so I'm, I'm editing away. So Jonner said it was fine, but mm-hmm. I, I obviously have to go and get it contractually cleared through their record label. Yeah. Um, like, could you ever be in a position where you, you know, the band say it's okay, but the record label are actually wants to grant for that or yeah, would they I, do that or would they go on the, the kind of the, would they go with the artists? No, you definitely, if they have a label, if they have a publisher, you have to get that approval and sign off and you've got to get the paperwork done so that you're covered. So I would suggest that if you're ever in that situation that you have a friend in a band who's on a major label or who has a publisher and they're like, oh yeah, you're grand, go ahead, use my song. You have to tell them, say, listen, I need you to reach out directly to your label and to your publisher to tell them, listen, I'm okay with this use. I'm okay for them. Like, you know, I really, I want them to get it for as, you know, little as possible. Um, Have them do that for you so that when the label and the publisher get the quote request, they know ahead of time. And you're not going to run into any issues that they're going to quote super high on something. And then you're having to go back and forth on things. It just, you know, hopefully that's going to smooth things over so that they've got the approval already from the artist and the artist is telling them, I want this to go ahead. And like that as well, you were really, really set on um, a song coming, like you really want a song and it is quite a famous song. You know, it'll cost you quite a few, quite a few quid. And you were like, but my friend is a really good musician. They'll record it. 
uh, for the production. So would you be the person they go to to get the rights? And how, what difference would that make in the cost? Like, would you still be looking at an extortionate fee or does that really cut it down? Yes, it does. A re-record does save because you're only paying for publishing. So you do, when you go to um, get the permissions to, to use it in your project, then you have to say that you're going to have, you're going to be doing a re-record. And, you know, if you know who the person is doing the re-record, if it's a band or an artist, then you can say, we're having so-and-so, we'd like to have so-and-so do a re-record of this for, you know, the project. So it's, yeah, it's, there's a lot of times when you can do that and it does save you money. So that is definitely an option, but you know, you do have to get the publishing approved and you have to tell them that you are doing, you know, you're doing a cover, you're doing a re-record of, of the song. And they can come back afterwards and we're like, that was crap. I don't like that. <laughs> like they, they couldn't and just go yeah. down. Like you, like once it's, once the contract signed for that, that's okay. Yeah, once as long as you're not like you know completely like um yeah i mean it's it's yeah you're you're when you go to them for approval you're saying we're basically we're doing a re-record we're doing a cover this is what it's for so and you're giving the scene description and everything else so it's you know you're getting the approval like they know what the project is i mean maybe i've never had anybody come back and say well we want you know we want to hear this before it goes into the film, but that is, that is something that could happen that, you know, part of the stipulation is that they have to hear the the cover before they approve it. Yeah. Cause I was thinking that like, you know, my mate, my fictional mate, I don't have a mate, John, um, <laughs> you know, he's a singer songwriter himself and he creates these beautiful acoustic covers of things, but then he's also in like this death metal band. So, you know, someone thinks they're getting a lovely singer songwriter cover of, of this but actually they're going to get like you know something really heavy but maybe it isn't stipulating in the contract like you wouldn't get in trouble over doing that no I mean you could you know you could say to them listen we're going to do a rock version a rock cover of you know um New York New York or you know what I mean like you you could tell them like this is our plan of how we're going to re-record it just so there's no issues um but yeah, it's, I mean, most times you're just going and saying, we're going to do a re-record of this. And you give them all the information on, you know, the project and the scene. And most times that's fine. Perfect. So I have two more questions that came up from Anonymous. Um, if you really can't find the publishers, say it's an underground, not well-known song from 20 years ago released on a small indie label. Is there something to be said for like trying, creating a paper trail and then using it? Or would you always have to let it go? So, yeah, I'd say you have to let it go. Um, you just have to, you have to be able to account for both of those pieces. So if you, if you do get in touch with the label, a lot of times the labels, they, they do have the information on who the publisher is. So it's always, if you yourself are doing the research and can't find the information on the publishing, definitely ask the label and see if they can provide it. Um, it's just, I mean, it is one of those things. It's, it's sometimes very tricky to find this information, but it's, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you can't find it, you have to let it go. You don't want to get in a situation of, you know, somebody coming to you after the fact and saying, actually, I published that and, you know, you're in breach. So we're going to sue you. So would actually, that's an interesting thing. What would the repercussions be? So they would sue us? Could they, what if it didn't make any money and you weren't particularly wealthy? 
yeah, it, I mean, it could go a, a few different directions. One is that, you know, they could sue you. One is that they could get in touch with you and say, listen, you need to license this. And, you know, they could potentially charge you a higher fee because you're doing it after the fact and it's already in the production. So, you know, it's, I think if something like that were to happen, you just, you, you try to smooth it over as best as possible and be as, you know, accommodating as possible to say, listen, you know, I'm sorry. And what can we do to rectify this, you know, and just try to try to, you know, do your best to make it work out as easily and as cost effectively as possible. <laughs> Very interesting. And actually now that we're here, I was wondering about um, things that are out of copyright. Mm. So about using music that is um, out of copyright, what would be the issues maybe people might come up against there? Yeah, I mean, public domain there, you know, there's definitely a load of public domain music out there that you can use. Um, you just really, again, public domain is a bit tricky. So you just want to make sure that it absolutely is in the public domain. Um, you know, it's, it's, if something was written in the 1800s, then, you know, you can be pretty sure that it is, but you also just want to make sure that you're not using, you know, an arrangement of something that was, you know, then copywritten later after the fact that's, you know, it very specific to, you know, certain styles or whatever. So it's, it's just, um, you know, just being as careful as possible to ensure that, you know, this is in the public domain. I mean, you can a lot of times say, all right, you know, if you a hundred years after the composer's death is a good kind of rule of thumb to say, all right, you know, it most likely is, is in the public domain now <laughs> because, you know, um, the PD laws, they are different in every country. So I think Mexico is like a hundred years, whereas the States is, I think it's 70 years and, I think in the EU, it might be 75. It's, I have a whole chart. <laughs> so so um, if you, if you um, edit your film, it might be able to screen in one territory and not able to screen in another territory at all. Exactly. If it's not public domain in that territory. So that's why you need to be really careful. Just because something is like now in the public domain in the US, it may not be public domain in Mexico or you know, in a country in Africa. So it's just being really aware of all that, all, you know, that there are different, you know, um, stipulations in different territories. And like, so that would apply if you were on YouTube, would you have to um, geo, geo block yeah. your, yeah. your film? Um, if it's on YouTube, I guess. Yeah. Can you even do that? I don't know. But like, if, if that was the case, would that stop like, if you were based in Ireland and you had your short film that was with stuff that was completely cleared, but just for Ireland, um, could someone in the UK and in the US flag that as a copyright breach over there, or is it? Well, if you're if if it's on YouTube or whatever, and you're geogating it to just Ireland, then no, because you're it's only it's you know locked to this territory, so it won't affect them. But if you opened it up so that it's then streaming. It's available in Ireland and the US and uh, Asia, then then yeah, if you if if you're using something that isn't public domain in those territories, then it could be an issue. Okay. And 
Um, okay, so I have another question here um, from Anonymous. I'm working on a medium budget short right now and we are sourcing music currently but with a very, very tight turnaround time as we are in post-production now with the deadline. Are you taking on any new projects right now? Well, we can get you Planet of Sound. <laughs> Planet of Sound is the website. We'll give you a big plug. Anyway, definitely. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, no, after, I mean, I'd say definitely email me. Um, and if it's something that I can work on, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, we can just get more details and see if it's something that's feasible. Great. That's very interesting. I also have a project that I'll be in touch about. This is all very interesting. <laughs> um, so Sinead Walsh asks, do you supervise sound and music or just music? Do you supervise composers for producers and, and editors? And uh, how do or should composers work with directors and producers? And are you happy to work as third party between a composer, a musician and a director? Yeah, so I, I do. I work with composers. I hire composers for projects and I basically do this, the score supervision um, as well. So I had a huge TV project about a year and a half ago. It was right when lockdown started that I had hired the, I had put forward a few different composers for it um, and they went with one of them that we put forward. So, and that was something that I was basically working with him, the um, sound supervisor, um, and just, you know, uh, the stuff that we were working on with sourcing music, um, commercial music. So it's definitely something that, you know, I've done on that. I did that with, like I mentioned before, with the Blue Man Project, um, that I was overseeing all of the music um, between the composers and um, what was being created and creating a schedule and making sure that everybody was keeping on time and on top of things and delivering when they needed to be. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think it's, you know, it's definitely, um, it's beneficial for composers and the music supervisors to be working together and communicating because a lot of times um, there's something that, you know, I might be saying, or I might be trying to find um, a piece of music for something or license something for a scene. And it's just, it's not coming together. And that's a place where the composer sometimes can pick it up and just, you know, knock something out that's that's gonna work for that place. Um, and it's just having those conversations. It's, it's, it's kind of helping each other out sometimes to say, all right, you know, I know you've got, you know, X amount of cues that you've got to create score wise. So, you know, we can maybe lift a little bit off of that off your plate by finding just even some, you know, stock music, um, production music to fill those spots so that it just, you know, that that's going to serve the same purpose, but just kind of, you know, take a little bit of an ease off the composer sometimes. And are there any things that now you see as being kind of too cliche, like they're overused in film? for stuff that you would just be like, actually it's, it's served its time and it's done. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, nothing's like necessarily coming to, to mind. Um, yeah. But you know, the way, like if it's a short, if it's always piano or if it's, you know, mm. always that kind of like a specific electronic style. And like, I'm not saying that I'm, yeah. they always or anything I've seen, they've worked very well, but you know, something specific, like, you know, around this era, there's always going to be that style used for this, this thing. And it's almost a cliche or anything that we should avoid now. I don't think necessarily. I mean, I think, um, 
I don't know. I mean, I think there's just so much diversity with composers that, you know, you, you have your choice of just kind of, you know, looking at a lot of different composers that are here in Ireland and seeing what their styles are and just, you know, what the fi right fit is. It's not, you know, there, there's so much diversity um, between, you know, what they can do and what they're creating that I think, you know, you'll find something that's unique and, you know, hopefully not, you know, similar to anything else that's, that's out there. Okay. And Sive Murphy, just um, original, has comments and says, original music or library tracks are surely safest and possibly uh, work out or cheaper all around. Tom Petty. Uh-huh. Is that a quote from Tom Petty? I'm, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it, but it, it's it's so you're not going to get bit on the on the butt if you if you release something or in trouble or anything like that. And then, um, so we're coming to the end of the the hour. So if anyone has any last minute questions or anything like that, and they want to put their hand up, um, go ahead. Um, I'm, I do have something that I want to ask. Um, or any questions in the chat box? We have one more. Um, oh no, that's that's okay. We answer that. Uh, great. So I just wanted to ask before we left, what are the projects that are the most creatively satisfying for you? Like, what are the ones that you really get you out of bed in the morning? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think the ones that definitely, you know, want to, you know, incorporate just interesting and diverse music into their project. Um, I, th I think there's there's so much music out there and there's so much great music. So to be able to just have conversations with the production team. And I, I think really that's the key to it is just having those conversations as early on as possible and, and just really getting some kind of framework in place for what it is musically you want to do, you know, you want to achieve with, with, you know, the film and, and, and the musical story really of the film. So how music can help to, you know, really push that story forward. So um, I think it's just, you know, being able to collaborate with people on that and, and collaborate on the ideas together. It's not just about myself or Rory coming to the table with, you know, lists, playlists of ideas. It's having that conversation with everybody and, and you know, being inspired by what other people are contributing to it because somebody else, you know, the director or producer might say, well, what about this? And then that starts another conversation of pulling together, you know, a lot of different ideas and, you know, and then you end up finding something that everybody really says, that's it. That's what the fit is. So it's, I think that's, what's really enjoyable. It is. So, um, uh, Camila, wanted to say I worked with Dina on my short film debutante a beautiful film so if anyone gets the chance to see that oh my god that's so powerful and I cannot recommend her highly enough thank you Dina see you fans, see you fans. Uh, Mila, it was a pleasure <laughs> um so that's great so if, if anyone else has anything um that that's grand if not we will leave it there so um planet of sound if anyone wants to contact you about projects yeah, in the future tell me it's dina at planetofsoundmusic.com perfect so thank you so much for chatting with us that's so interesting i'm <laughs> gonna be watching things in a whole new way from now on yeah no no thank you for having me you know as part of this webinar it was great excellent thank you bye
Bye, everybody. Thank you. If you would like to support Women in Film and Television Ireland or follow the work we do, log on to wft.ie.